Welcome to episode 150 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode, which is about the 150th time I have said that <laughs> introduction. So we've had it. We're are, are having, I shouldn't say we've had a good run. We are having a good run <laughs> on this um, podcast and hope to continue to bring you um, a new guest every week and just appreciate those who are listening and um, our guests and the opportunities that we've had to learn so much from everyone that we've had on here. So, Very and true. to spend, spend every week with you, Todd, <laughs> once a week. <laughs> we haven't gotten sick it's, of each other yet. <laughs> no, not quite. No, no. Well, I haven't gotten sick of you because every yeah. week you you teach me something new, and and uh, as well as our guests, I'm, we're always learning something new, and that's that's part of this this journey that we're on with this podcast, and right. not only just bringing sort of the joy of telepractice and and what it can mean and what it can be, but also just learning together and right. and and being a part of all this, and you. I wouldn't have done it with anyone else, and uh, you've been this wonderful partner. So thank you for a great 150 episodes, and looking forward to the next 150. Great, great. Well, we have some news this week. Um, Mm -hmm. SIG-18 last night had, as we're recording this, it was last night, had um, a meeting that they did on the public health emergency ending in May. I forgot the exact date in May, but it's ending in May. And so they were talking about, they talked about both from the Medicaid level and the Medicare level. And I know that they're going to kind of continue the conversation in the SIG-18 chats and things like that. So if you have any questions from it, go there. But the overall gist that I got from it was that It is ending and there is some extensions and they hope by the time the extensions run out for services that there's some permanent legislature in place. Um, And it's very, as far as Medicaid goes, it's very dependent on state by state. So the main feeling that I got was kind of a call to advocacy and a call to that we need more research. So we need more research to be able to show the efficacy of um, telepractice. And we know it's working, but we need those numbers and that data to show that it's working and also that are there are great people at the level of ASHA who are advocating for it and are um, lobbying for it, but that is their job to lobby for it. <laughs> so a lot of times mm-hmm. they are not heard and it's more of the people who have that, you know, the stakeholders in the situation of, you know, even like at the parent level of getting parents who have you've provided service was for to let their lawmakers know how valuable these services are. So that was the two feelings that I got was that it's going to be very dependent state by state what happens and mm-hmm. that we all need to do more to kind of push it forward and advocate for telepractice. Exactly. And and like we've, you know, mentioned before on the podcast that you know, there's all these bills in Congress that hopefully will get passed, but we don't know if they'll be passed before this runs out. So um, we may be stuck in a in a period of time of trying to, you know, this gray area of when it runs out and then getting this legislation passed and hopefully trickling back down to the state level. But I, I agree with you. I think we need to be engaged uh, at the state level and at the federal level. And working with our state associations as well as our state licensure boards uh, to make sure that we have this access and that we can get reimbursed. And I was I was just uh, at a conference here in Ohio, the OSHLA, as we call it, and there was someone that came up and said that uh, they are having some difficulty getting reimbursed with uh, insurance companies now. Mm -hmm. That they're starting to ease back ease off of uh, paying for services that are de- delivered through telepractice. 
So that's a that's a that's a red flag, and that's really yeah. bad. So so I think we need to do more to educate and get our our consumers, the the families we're working with, the children, right. the, the adults, schools, the schools, even, everyone yeah. advocating that this is something that's worthwhile uh, and it actually saves money in the long run, and right. uh, and we're seeing incredible outcomes, and mm-hmm, we need to be mm-hmm. communicating that. Yep. And they did they did talk about the interstate compact too. Mm-hmm. And that moving forward, they said um that by 2024 they hope to kind of have some um guidelines and things finalized to be able to put that in place and as I am getting ready to pay my dues in <laughs> two to three different states, I am looking right. forward to that day. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, and so in the next year, hopefully that will be in place and we'll be yeah. able to take advantage of that. So, yeah. and then by then, hopefully even more states, uh, I, I was on this website the other day and I think it still says 23, but I think it's higher than that now mm-hmm. in terms of the number of states. So I think, you know, in another year, hopefully most of the states will be on, if not all. Yeah. And, and I think once it has a, you know, a structure to it and some guidelines that I think it's likely that even more states will adopt it because they know what they're saying yes to more of exactly exactly yeah. it's it's sort of this unknown thing right now mm-hmm. even though other professions are using compacts and do it it's still for us a little people are a little hesitant about how is this going to work how's it going to look you know what do we get out of it you know that kind of thing yeah but overall it was a great meeting i know that they've talked about having others about you know as as the changes go on and as the compact comes together and things like that. So keep watching and it's definitely worth it to be part of those meetings and hear what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's a, I mean, I think SIG 18 and, and, um, and ASHA has, has done a reasonably good job of trying to keep people informed and keep people yeah. engaged. So my hat's off to them and, and, and uh, I encourage everyone if you're in ASHA, a speech pathologist or an audiologist, and you're interested in, in telepractice, join SIG-18 and get involved and, and and show some support. So that would be great. Yep. And so on the episode today, we have two guests. We have uh, Michelle Graham and Lindy Powell, and they work with the I Hear program. And I Hear is a, a national program, a national project that they do out of St. Joseph's Institute for the Deaf in St. Louis and Indiana. And, uh, they're going to talk about some of those telepractice and teletherapy services they provide for children with hearing loss and their families. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I'm a co-host of Telepractice Today with my dear friend, Kim Allen. And I just wanted to take a moment and ask you a favor. You see, we at the 3C Digital Media Network Yes, and I am also the CEO of 3C, as we call it. We need you. We need you to maybe develop a webinar that we could distribute for you. Or maybe it's a course that you have in mind that you'd like to share your knowledge and skills. We would want to do that with you. We can help you distribute produce and distribute all of those things. We have blogs that you could do. Maybe you want to start in this whole wild world of online publishing and online media, and you want to start with a blog. We would be very happy to host that blog on our website. So if you have some ideas about blogging or a webinar, or maybe a course that you'd like to offer, or maybe you have an idea for a totally new podcast. You may not know this, but we actually produce five podcasts, and it's growing. And so, who knows? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. We would love to talk to you. In fact, I would love to talk to you. I would love to showcase what you're doing, your knowledge and skills, no matter what it might look like. Course, webinar, podcast, blog, doesn't really matter. You can reach out to me at Todd 
at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com. That's T-O-D-D at the number 3, 3C, C as in cat, digitalmedianetwork.com. And I will be in touch. Thank you for considering this. And we'll talk soon. Well, Michelle and Lindy, welcome to the podcast. Would you guys uh, introduce yourselves and tell more about your background? Hi, Todd and Kim. Thank you so much for having us. I am Michelle Graham. I am the executive director in St. Louis for St. Joseph Institute for the Deaf. Lindy, would you like to introduce yourself before we get into a little bit more information? Sure, absolutely. This is Lindy Powell. I am the executive director at St. Joseph Institute for the Deaf in Indiana. So in, yeah, so I am a teacher of the deaf and a listening and spoken language specialist. This is Michelle again. And my background is in um, working with children of all ages and all um, levels of abilities, all diagnoses, um, whether that is specific to hearing loss or additional diagnoses, medical complications and whatnot, in addition to their hearing loss. And we've been providing teletherapy services for quite some time. So we appreciate the opportunity to um, join you on this podcast and to talk with you more today. Great. Lindy? And I, yes, happy to go. And so I am, am also a teacher of the deaf by trade and a listening and spoken language specialist. I've been here in Indiana, now back in Indiana, for almost two years and then spent some time about 14 years in Houston, Texas. So I've had a, a bit of a journey um, in um, not only just leadership within option school programs, but also as a deaf educator and a listening and spoken language provider myself. My background is within a comprehensive background in deaf education, so with sign language and spoken language. And then I pursued a master's degree in literacy and reading development. So my main focus is really in within the birth to three population, early childhood population, and also um, building early literacy skills. Awesome. Well, we, we usually ask, you know, how did you discover your profession? So this is usually... And just because of working with in this hearing loss world, it's always interesting how people get into the professions, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's speech language pathology or deaf education. So, so Michelle, how did you how did you end up in deaf education? So in undergrad, I'm from St. Louis, born and raised, been mm. here my whole life. I went to undergrad at St. Louis University, and I was enrolled in communication sciences and disorders. And at that point, when I was graduating, I knew I was going to go to grad school. And so some decisions needed to be made about what, what field did I want to pursue beyond the undergraduate level. And honestly, I had applied to several speech pathology programs. And that was where I was initially drawn to. And I was really um, thinking I was going to go that route of speech pathology. And then I fell into the Washington University program here in St. Louis for teacher of the deaf and um, really fell in love with the program itself. Um, I had a little bit of experience from childhood with some neighbors who um, had hearing loss and were deaf and, and whatnot. But I don't know that that was necessarily what drove me um, to you know, enter this field. I think I, I saw the work firsthand and I, it really spoke to me and it, I felt like, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is my passion and my mission. And, um, and I wanted to be in the classroom and working with, with children. And so I've been, um, in the classroom as a teacher of the deaf. So I've worked in the classroom. I've worked in early intervention, teletherapy, so serving in all those different capacities, um, and then now overseeing the programming and the audio audiology piece that comes along with that and working alongside that audiologist. And the Washington University program really trained the teachers of the deaf right alongside with the audiologist. And so that scientific knowledge and the firsthand experience with, um, you know, the hearing and speech acoustics um, was kind of embedded into all of our programming. And I think that that carries through today in the listening and spoken language work that we're doing specifically through teletherapy and working with um, families or with other professionals that are out there. Very good. I 
I've talked to some colleagues uh, who are a little older than me, <laughs> and I'm not saying anyone is here is older than me. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm probably the oldest. Um, anyway, but back in the old days, that you know, they used to train the deaf educators and and speech pathology and audiology together, and, and at some point they kind of went in there. So they they took a lot of the core classes together. So that's mm-hmm. I wish we could still do some of that. Um, even even now, even speech pathology and audiology don't overlap like they should, I think. Yeah, but, I think it really fosters nice collaboration and nice scope of practice. So maybe you don't have all the in-depth knowledge for that specific area, but you have some global information that you can apply to your specific yeah, specific and it, area. it makes a lot of the things you're learning mm-hmm. so applicable too. I remember sitting through speech science and I don't know, it was all very didn't make a whole lot of sense or didn't like I couldn't see why it was important until I got into the classes that were also focusing on hearing loss and how that speech science and speech acoustics applied to hearing loss was what really made sense. So I agree the mixing of the classes and the um, collaboration is a, is really helpful. And now the hot term is interprofessional training and yes. interprofessional education which is sort of going back to what we used to do. So what we're talking about. So it's it's kind of interesting how things just kind of come back around if you stay in it long enough. So, so Lindy, how did you end up where you are? Yeah, so my journey is a little bit different. I I knew from very early on that I wanted to be a teacher. So if you ask my, my family, my sister, I was always playing teacher or school at home. Uh, but I grew up in a very small town in Wisconsin, so I wasn't really exposed to kids with varying ability levels or understanding that special education or speech and language would be an area that I could pursue as a career. So as I got older and I was in high school, I was reaching out to find these different opportunities to see what different careers might look like in education. And I ended up volunteering at a camp that had a deaf camp at the same time. So I was really interested in wow, this is a unique part of education and something that I could do. And I felt really drawn to that component of the special education camp. So I ended up pursuing a degree in deaf education along with a degree in special education. And then similar to Michelle, you know, I didn't have that exposure to listening and spoken language and what kids could really do when they had that opportunity with the right intervention and technology until later on in my career. So I moved down to Houston, Texas, and I was a total communication classroom teacher. And I learned very quickly as I was serving the 18 school districts east of Houston. And I was the only teacher who was then responsible for these three, four, and five-year-olds to build listening skills that I did not have the skills I needed as a professional to support that. So eventually found my way to an option program and and learned under the mentorship of listening and spoken language specialists there and then fell in love with that aspect of that field of deaf education. Very good. Awesome. Awesome. I I think, again, if if you've been in the field, you've used just about every methodology. You've seen it, seen the whole gamut at some point, uh, depending on the child and, and what you're doing. So that's great. Um, so. Let's talk about iHear. So how did iHear start and what is what has that journey been and, and what's what's happening today? Yeah, sure. So iHear is the name of our teletherapy program. We piloted iHear in 2009. So it's been around quite some time. And um very successful. So a lot of metrics have been put into place to measure program efficacy to be certain that, you know, this program is working and it is helping families achieve their outcomes. That was really important to us from the get-go. So if we think about 2009, um, we were one of the first programs to Mm -hmm. start teletherapy. And um, there were a lot of unknowns when that started. Mm -hmm. Is this going to work? How's the connection going to to be? We're working with children who have hearing loss. And so um, building in all the the factors and the components were really important to really establish um, program efficacy and really looking at the structure of the program. We've now completed over 20,000 sessions. So we've been doing this for quite some time and, and, and serving throughout the U.S. So we've had a few international students as well um, and supporting early intervention, 
children, babies, families, school-age children. So we're serving zero through the age of 18 through our I Hear Teletherapy program. And the focus is for children who have hearing loss or are deaf and their families have chosen a listening and spoken language model. And so really working on developing their listening skills, their um, language, their expressive spoken language, their receptive um, working on vocabulary and increasing all of all of those skills, and then not only increasing the child's skill set, but also working with the parents or the teachers on developing strategies and increasing their skill set so that they can help their child outside of the therapy sessions and really um, foster that skill development throughout the child's day. So that's a, a little synopsis of our I Hear Teletherapy program. <laughs> and. You guys are are national, is that right, Michelle? We are, we are. So we are housed out of St. Louis, Missouri, but providing Mm -hmm. services throughout the country and working with um, different programs and different um, entities, whether that be at the state level or a local school district level and providing services there. And I'm just sort of just, as we compare to other other uh, guests that we have on, you, you guys, so a school district or early intervention system would contract with you to provide those services. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. And Great. and how many uh, how many uh, clinicians or teachers that you have working with you? So currently, we have six clinicians that are dedicated to solely providing eye hear teletherapy services. However, we have additional clinicians that are providing virtual sessions in addition to their other tests. So other responsibilities, whether that be like in-home sessions that they're performing um, through early intervention or they're providing speech and language pullout from a classroom and also providing some virtual sessions. But um, we do have a set number of clinicians and therapists that are teachers of the deaf and or speech language pathologists. So we're utilizing um, both professions within this um, model to provide the services. That's awesome. So how how do um, programs or, or state early intervention systems or school districts learn about your services? I think word of mouth has honestly been our our best way of getting people um, access to our program and and getting in touch with us. Um, We are, we attend national conferences. We just saw you at at the Eddy conference not that long ago. So um, we do attend national conferences and and present lots of presentations going on um, to share information and to help um, within the field of deaf education or speech language pathology or, or listening and spoken language. Um, I make lots of connections. We work with university partners for mm-hmm. sure. So I mentioned Washington University. They're not our only partnership that we work with um, continually. So we have lots of university partners that we're working with and collaborating with, offering observation opportunities to students, as well as um, guest lecture opportunities. Lindy and I have both participated in those opportunities with universities. Um, and so I think that word of mouth, spreading the word to different professionals and different families and and social media postings and conference presentations and um, just really getting out there and, and saying we're here. And if you need help, the mission of St. Joseph Institute for the Deaf to serve those that would otherwise go and serve. So those rural areas um, really needing access to services, which is how how the program developed initially was the recognition of there's a need. There are mm-hmm. there are children not being served that would like listening and spoken language services, and there are not providers in that area. There's not access, and so um, we facilitated the program so that, or we started the program so that we could facilitate that and serve those children and those families. You know, I think there's there's also a really unique situation in the state of Indiana, too. So we rely on IHEAR heavily for our early intervention referrals. So within the state of Indiana, we have a pretty robust level of support, birth to three. And St. Joseph Institute has been identified as the listening and spoken language provider through early intervention or through first steps. 
So I have 26 providers across the whole state. And six of those include our eye care providers because there are places like rural Indiana and places where we just don't have someone who could get there physically. But we know with the the practice that, that Michelle has through eye care and through teletherapy, we can reach those families. So we can continue to then receive those referrals, even if we don't have someone who can get there physically. So speaking on behalf of Indiana, you know, that referral, that situation we have is really, um, really a blessing because then we are able to have the support of eye care as well. Yeah. I feel like there's always some people have like some uh, preconceptions and notions about uh, what kind of clients are good for teletherapy. And I feel like early intervention is one that people assume a lot is not good for teletherapy. And hearing loss can be one that people assume is not good for teletherapy. What have you guys encountered with that? What's been the challenges and what successes have you seen? So I, I think just speaking to those two points, Certainly, right? And and the hearing loss aspect, it was really important to us from the get-go to say, we need to make sure that we're establishing good connectivity, that there's a good signal, and we're helping the families troubleshoot on their end so that they're, they're setting up their computers and they have um, good access to Wi-Fi so that the um, signal for this child who, who we're working on developing their auditory skills is, is good and that they're hearing all those nuances of language um, for the family. So when we think about early intervention, oftentimes, um, you know, we think it could be perceived that teletherapy is, you know, sitting your little baby in front of a of a computer screen, right? That is right. not the case at all. So um, we we often do suggest you don't need to be right in front of the computer. It can be sitting on the coffee table while you're engaging with your child. It can be sitting on the kitchen table while you're participating in your mealtime routine or whatever it might look like that it's determined for that day that you're going to be doing during your session. Um, but certainly, as far as um, early intervention goes, we encourage families to continue doing their daily activities while we're participating in this teletherapy. So I, I don't need a family to sit still and, and perform on the on the screen for me. I can be the, you know, the little bug in the ear talking to the parent and helping them from a distance to say, oh, that was really good. I just saw her, you know, say, ah, or ooh, or, or point to the mouse when you said squeak, squeak. She identified that you said that, you know, and really working with the family. I had um, a therapist just today who shared with me, um, she's working with a new baby for early intervention. Um, they just got fit with hearing aids not that long ago, and she was following up with mom. How's it going? Have you noticed any differences? Is is, is she hearing any new sounds or, or what are you noticing? And um, mom was, wasn't so sure. You know, she said, well, I she's wearing them. She's doing a really good job wearing them. I'm not, I'm not sure if she's hearing me in the morning. Here's what we do. And went through the routine and, and they, and the therapist was able to watch mom engage in that routine of putting on the hearing aids in the morning. And how are you, how are you interacting? And the therapist saw the child smiling and lighting up and, and made reference to that. And the mom actually stated she was so excited that she had the therapist there to recognize that because she said, oh my gosh, she's been doing that every day, but I didn't put that connection together. And you just noticed that. That is so cool. Okay, what, what else can I do? And so that's the interaction of that early intervention to say, yeah, I see that. And you're doing this so great as a parent. And for this parent, not recognizing what she was doing and, and starting to learn and understand some of those strategies of, oh, let's build on it. What else can we do? And and so that's really exciting that even, even through teletherapy, even thousands of miles away, we're able to build those bonds with families and those connections. Kim, that's a really great point too, because we see it all the time. We get those referrals and and if we can't meet that need in person, um, or give them an option, and, and teletherapy is the only way we can provide listening and spoken language services. There are plenty of parents who don't just can't wrap their head around what that would look like. Right. They are not there yet. They don't see what Michelle just articulated. They don't see that until 
they can build that trust with the therapist. So a lot of times parents will say no, um, but then it requires the therapist or someone like me stepping in to say, okay, let's give it a shot, right? Can we try, try two? Let's do two sessions. You tell me if this is working or not. And we can go from there because a lot of times just even that routine based intervention that Michelle described is very foreign to families too. And they're thinking it has to be this typical therapeutic setting where they're sitting at a table and completing a task. So Mm -hmm. I think that was a great question. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so different. I think from a medical model that most parents are used to too, that I take my kid to the specialist, the specialist fix what fixes, whatever is wrong quote, quote, wrong with my stu- my child, and then they give them back to me. And it's very, very different in in the realm of deaf education and early in- intervention. Mm-hmm. So true. Within our I Hear Teletherapy program, we're utilizing a coaching model. So even outside of early intervention, if we're working with a school-age child, we continue to use that coaching model. Essentially, what that means is we're working with the adult to help the adult build their capacity for um, developing a skill set that they can then in turn help the child reach their outcomes. And so um, no matter what age you are, even the 17 and 18 year olds that I'm working with, I'm still interacting with the adults, whether that be the professional at the school district or the parent um, to give them the information and the tools and the knowledge to help facilitate carryover of the skills. So it's not a, it's not a you're fixed, check the box. Um, it's a, it's an ongoing um, education and ongoing um, trying to incorporate the skills that we're using and building into everyday life. So when we think about auditory skills and auditory skill development for the children that we're working with, they, they build it builds on each other. So yes, you are now able to discriminate between these two sounds and you know that they sound different An M and an N sound different. Now let's put it into a word level. Now let's put it into the story. Now mom just gave you a direction and you misheard that direction and, and giving the parents the knowledge to be able to determine why did they hear that misdirection? Or why did they misunderstand that direction? Oh, that's right. They just misheard M and N and we've been working on that. And and so really coaching um, families and school professionals for all the children we serve, not just the early intervention. And what trends are you guys seeing? I mean, did you experience um, in terms of COVID uh, when everyone had to be online and do, you know, telepractice, teletherapy. And then we start to see this swing back of post-COVID, you know, so, so-called so post-COVID when, when it's still out there. But um, are families still in demand or I should say, or is your services still in demand because of that? Or have you seen any, any, effect because of of the swing back to being in person? I think it's still in demand, certainly. And um, I think one of the things that that we've noticed is um, more openness to Mm. the idea of teletherapy. Um, You know, when when COVID hit and and everyone was virtual, um, Mm -hmm. there wasn't an option. And so folks were trying to figure it out. And now that we're beyond COVID, um, I feel like there's more of um, an open-mindedness about the fact that this could work. It did work. And and how can we think through this differently? I think a few of the things we noticed um, that we didn't always have access to were, especially if we're thinking about early intervention. So you may show up at the family's home and you're working with one of the parents because the other provider or the other caregiver is at work. So COVID opened that doors up for that because parents were both at home or both caregivers were at home. And we then had that opportunity to work with the family as a whole unit. Um, We've encouraged some of those practices, even now that we're beyond Mm -hmm this COVID, um, you know, regimen that we were in. I know Lindy's seen some um, benefits with um, some specific examples that you may want to share. Yeah, and that's that's a great point, too, about that willingness for parents to join, maybe if they wouldn't have been in the home environment or been able to make it up to the school facility for parent coaching in the past. 
we have seen a trend in the increase in willingness for parents to participate in our on-site listening and spoken language therapy for our school-based kids, too. So we always offer a weekly parent coaching session. But pre-COVID, I think parents were uncertain about what that might look like if I hop on and just observe my child, or how are you going to coach me as a parent if I'm not there in person? And we've been able to refine that reverse parent coaching model where they're at work and they take their lunch break and they are able to hop on and interact with their child or um, learn from the therapist while the therapist is working with their child too. We have also seen a trend in an increase in kids receiving unilateral cochlear implants for single-sided deafness. So we've seen that that's also a huge piece of teletherapy. And some parents are saying, I actually prefer this over being in person because we're able to stream directly to that device. Then we're able to isolate that ear, all of those great benefits. And then another unique thing within that, as we're learning about these kids who have some really great language skills prior to implantation, but need to build those rehab skills in that new ear is that they fatigue so easily when you're isolating that ear too. So we've been able to really be individualized in the frequency and service duration for these kids. And that might not have been feasible for a child who was coming on site or if we were going there. So for instance, we have a child who's seen multiple times a week for 15 minutes each time. So just checking in, coaching mm-hmm. mom, but then also working to that child's level of fatigue and frustration mm-hmm. And then now we've built in, so we're able to see her for 30 minutes at a time now, too. But I don't think we would have been able to be as individualized with that child had we not had the ability to access teletherapy for her intervention. Right. We've had a couple of people on before, a couple guests, and they've tried or trialed the sort of short, intensive sessions of 15 minutes and like three times a week. and 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 showed has shown that those kids can do quite well with that kind of a model in uh, instead of you know trying to get them for 45 minutes or an hour to to work on these are older kids you know who mm-hmm. who can sit and attend to the computer and do those things but these short sort of bam 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 <laughs> rapid fire real i hate to say drill but real intensive sessions of but limited duration but more often that Mm -hmm. seems to seems to help some kids learn even better and faster so it's interesting yeah and i agree with if you're looking at something you know like i can't still can't believe you were working in 18 different school districts (laughs) in texas Mm -hmm. but but when you have something like that where it's a speech therapist that maybe can only go is at that site once a week or physically once a week or once a month or whatever it is then that um taking away that physical presence needing to be there then we're a lot more able to adjust to what our students need and and linda you you mentioned reverse therapy or <clears throat> um we've had shannon sharma on before and she was at depaul now she's out in california would you kind of uh, elaborate a little bit more on that and just kind of explain what that what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. I think she's actually worked quite closely with one of our St. Joseph providers in developing mm-hmm. a structure around that. So Kristen Schaff is one of our SLPs mm-hmm. in our school program here in Indiana, and she's worked to figure out how can I access these parents who can't physically get here. So the way that that looks, and typically a child enrolled in our preschool or primary school program is receiving daily speech therapy or listening and spoken language therapy for about 30 minutes. So what she has done is create a schedule to share with parents to say, here's when I'm pulling this child for therapy. Here's what we're working on. I'd love for you to join me in this, even if you can't be here on site. So here's a link and you can join me using this platform and I will set up my computer. You just let me know if you can be there. So some of those sessions are purely observation. And then she's able to connect with them after to say, hey, did you see that this happened? I worked through this. Um, because sometimes for those real little kids, we can't um, we can't engage the parent over the computer without confusion or, or perhaps a meltdown mm-hmm. if we're talking about some of those separation issues. But for some of the mm-hmm. older students, they're actually able to engage with their parents. So, um, you know, I observed one session where a parent was actually completing the lane six sound check at the beginning of the session. 
So um, <laughs> that was how they participated. And then they, they were observing and then chiming in um, when they heard an error that their child made or um, when they were able to correct something too. So they can actually participate over um, a virtual platform as well. It just really depends on the child and, and their readiness for that, right. that type of intervention. But the parents have been really pleased with it. And some of them mm-hmm. have even gone home then and said, okay, well, I'm going to record what I'm doing. Um, during meal time, mm, that's that, great. and I'm going to send it back to you, and let's talk about that as well. Um, so it's been really neat to see how it's happening, and um, both in the home environment and then in our school-based environment too. Yeah, I think that's a model, too, that could go beyond just working with children who are deaf and hard of hearing. Um, I had just had an IEP the other day with a student who's utilizing an AAC system with an iPad at school, and the parent has not yet done the steps that they need to to get the same um, program on the device at home, too. So that's something that I've offered in that situation, too. I want you to see what they're able to do with this device when they're at school and that, you know, here's my link. You can I can send you the schedule. You can hop on anytime. Hasn't happened yet, but I'm hopeful. But I think that's another just those other areas where maybe you feel like there's a big difference between what we're seeing in school versus what we're seeing at home. And letting that parent have that window into that is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. We know we tell parents every time they tour the school program and that 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 parent participation piece is so critical. And again, similar to how we have to educate them on what early intervention services look like, sometimes that's a journey too once we transition to school-based services to say, okay, this doesn't look the same, but that component can still be a key component to your child's education and you are still key to their success too. That's awesome. So what, what um, do you guys have any, um, well, let me back up. You, you have your own platform that you use for iHear, is that correct? Um, and you have materials and activities and everything built into the platform. Is that right? Yes, we use a proprietary curriculum and platform that um, is housed in St. Louis, and we have pre-created lessons that we can pull from. Now, with that being said, all of our sessions are individualized per the child and the child's current goals and the parent strategies that we're focusing on. So even though we do have a very large library of lessons already created, we're constantly generating new lessons per that child to meet individuality. Um, And as you had spoken about earlier, I think that was a really um, great insight into the frequency of services. And I, I definitely see that with our students. We typically will provide sessions um, as a recommendation to get started uh, at least twice a week so mm-hmm. that we have that consistency and that um, we're able to really hone in on what do we need to work on here? What are the specific targets and the strategies that we're incorporating? And the sessions are intense. They are, there's not much downtime. You, mm-hmm. you log in, we have an agenda, we have a plan and, and we work on those skills in that activity. And um, you go back to your, your daily life and your, your class or whatever it is um, you're participating outside of the, um, the session. So yeah, for sure. And, and so I, I was um, going to also ask, you, in, outside the platform, do you have other um, go-to resources or activities that you could recommend? I know you have you know, your platform, but for others who may not have access to the platform, obviously, do you have other things that you could recommend that they could use for different populations or different ages? So I think a couple of the just websites that are out there, I know there's so many, I think that's what you're getting at here, Todd. I know there's a lot of resources online and different websites that um, you can pull up and utilize during sessions. I think a few of the go-tos for our therapist, if they're looking for an additional resource or something that they draw from um, Pink Cat Games they've utilized. Mm -hmm. Um, I love Quia. So Quia Grammar Crackers and Quia Boards. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I think another resource. So we PBS Kids, all of the all of the children's television shows and whatnot have games and and that associated with. So anytime we're utilizing an outside source such as that, 
Um, what we're doing is looking at it with our professional lens to say, okay, this activity or this website or this information is cute and it's great and it's going to be engaging um, and interesting for the child or for the family. But how can we embed our language and our structures and our targets into this? And so um, I have utilized a few of those um, components in the past. And when I do that, sometimes I'll turn off the volume or I control the all of the the features and um and make sure that we're still facilitating all of that intensive therapy that we're looking for um but we're directing the um the language and the website and and kind of how we're moving through that game um we we have lots of games that we've created to um to kind of facilitate that engagement with with a child to keep them, um, you know, positive positive reinforcement moving along and and um, giving them encouraging thoughts as they're, you know, pr- participating in their sessions. That's awesome. Lindy, do you have any other examples or resources that that come to mind that you're thinking of? So most of the teletherapy we're providing in Indiana is either through that reverse parent coaching model um, or through early intervention. And in early intervention, when we talk about resources, we're really just reimagining what it would be like if we were in that child's home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so really no additional resources there other than trying to put yourself in the, the room with the parent and, you know, trying to, to visualize yourself in that home to provide that support because we want that feel. We want that same level of support and routine-based intervention. We utilize technology a lot to our um, to help us and in that capacity. So oftentimes families are sending us pictures of their child engaging in a task or pictures of the home and and putting it together in a self-made, you know, experience book for the child so that we can facilitate language development and practice strategies that are looking at their own home environment. So even though we're not necessarily there physically in their home, we have that sense of what the layout is, how how things look, this is what your toys look like. And, and then um, we can help, right? Like Lindy was just suggesting that we're helping facilitate that engagement um, for the parents and we have a better sense of what the layout looks like. Yeah. And I think that's a good, even just the reminder of you don't always need a resource and something mm-hmm. on the screen and things like that to engage a family in therapy, I think is a good reminder too. Um, when you were talking about trying to like kind of be in the home, that just reminded me of my husband just got this camera that can lock in, on to someone's face and then mm-hmm. follows them around the room, <laughs> can like rotate. Wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish that I was at a price point where I could send it to some of my families. Mm-hmm. That would make early intervention teletherapy a lot easier if I could do that. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Yeah, so very cool. Where do you guys uh, see I Hear going over the next <clears throat> three to five years or so? Where, where do you want to be? Definitely, I think we're going to keep expanding and serving um, that zero to 18 population, potentially looking beyond the 18 population. Um, I We've been getting um, calls it, from alums who have um, a first-generation cochlear implant internal device and are looking to either um, upgrade or get a second device and are looking for some oral rehab related to that. And so um, certainly we are experts in, you know, auditory training and auditory development and the appeal of teletherapy for a young adult or a professional to be able to facilitate that within their day and 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 log on after work or log on during their lunch break or before they go to work um, could be very appealing. So it's a thought that's out there. And we're definitely getting um, questions and, and referrals for that um, aspect of it, but certainly continuing to serve early intervention and school-age children uh, throughout the U.S. and and even globally. That's exciting. That's exciting. And so how can someone reach out to you guys and, and learn more about IHEAR or if there are opportunities for employment or anything like that, either uh, in St. Louis or in Indiana, What? how does that look? What can people do? 
Certainly. You, our website is www.sjid.org. Anytime you can email either myself or Lindy um, for questions, comments, just to talk more about the field. We both welcome um, university partners, professionals, parents to stop by for a tour and to see, um, see our programs in action. I, um, I, Lindy, I know we can, we can talk more uh, individually with anyone who's interested, but certainly that would be probably the best way to get a hold of us would be through the website. There's a contact us form on that website and all of our uh, email information is also on the website. Mm-hmm. And we do have employment opportunities right now as well. So actively recruiting and hiring, listening and spoken language specialists, teachers of the deaf and speech language pathologists. Um, so interested applicants in either location can reach out to me or Michelle to learn more about those opportunities. We offer listening and spoken language mentoring as well. So um, in Indiana here, we have 10 certified providers who are listen providers. So happy to also you know, keep building that group of listening and spoken language specialists here in Indiana. I also have an opening in St. Louis for a pediatric <laughs> audiologist. Oh, good. Good. So you guys are covering the waterfront here, all the different professions. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, uh, thank you guys for joining us on the podcast and, and good luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you for having us. Thank you all so much. And congratulations. I think you told us this is your 150th episode. Congratulations to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Well, that was Michelle Graham and Lindy Powell joining us discussing the I Hear program, the national program that uh, provides services to children with hearing loss uh, through telepractice. So I wish them uh, both the best of luck and continued success with everything that they are doing. And speaking of success, we have to say again, as we said at the beginning of the episode, that this is our 150th episode. And we want to just thank you, our listeners, for for supporting us uh, all these 150 episodes over the past uh, three years or so, and we are looking forward to the next 150 and doing hopefully an even better job. So thank you for all of your support and, and kind words that you've sent us and reviews. We really do appreciate it. We would not be doing this without your support. So we do appreciate everything you do for us and for the podcast. Speaking of which, if you don't mind giving us a a good review or rate or even subscribe or follow or share this episode or podcast, that that is always, always much appreciated. And until next week, we'll be back with another new episode. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.